Welcome to the Sunday morning service at Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia, where the Bible is opened and explained. Christians are encouraged and Christ is lifted up. Thank you for joining us and may your hearts be blessed as God's word is taught. And now, enjoy this message from Pastor Lauren Regeer. Well, amen. Thank you, children. Tremendous job. Find your way now to Children's Church. Well, wherever you're going, don't go past the parking lot, please. Always a blessing to hear them sing in church, amen? Great to have them singing for us. Well, this is the month preceding, um, Memorial Day month, and so I thought the Lord just directed me to this theme, uh, great memorials in the Bible, and we're going to start with the memorials of Jacob. He was known for... His memorials. What in the world is a memorial? Ever think about that? I'd look it up myself. It's a structure or a monument built and dedicated to remind people of a person or significant event. A Webster helps us out in definitions. I wonder if you have special places in your life that you have marked uh, as uniquely significant to the history of your life, no matter how long that is. I mentioned a bridge that I, an iron bridge that I used to go to on my first ministry in Indiana, just learning my way through everything in ministry. And often there would be some tough weeks and I would just go to this iron bridge <laughs> and I not jump off. I thought about it, but uh, just to stop there and ask the Lord, Lord, would you please get, it was my prayer bridge. Do you have significant markers in your life where you can go to and remember God loves it when we remember. Take your Bibles and let's look at the life of Jacob. There'll be some history this morning and then we'll look at uh, one of the memorials of Jacob at Bethel today. Great memorials of Jacob. Genesis chapter 25, we'll begin reading verse number 19. Genesis 25 and verse 19, Jacob, known for his memorials. For the next few weeks, we'll look at some of these significant <clears throat> places in biblical history, but mainly focusing on the life of Jacob. One of my favorites, God aligns himself with Jacob. The God of Jacob is our refuge. And you look at his life, you wonder why God picked him. And there's wonderful truths here in the book of Genesis about his uh, remembrances in his memorials, his markers of God's faithfulness to him. Well, Father, we just commit our time together to you. We pray that you would direct our thoughts and maybe leave hanging on to the truths we've learned in Sunday school and now in our worship hour. We want to obey, be more like you, and so, Lord, I pray that we would garner at least a truth or two that would just secure us and help us to grow in the days ahead. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Genesis chapter 25, of course I would remind you even as we, before we read that uh, this, this man, Jacob, was in the line of the patriarchs, or the time of patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and others. And the, really the name is of patriarch is a father leader. Jacob is the born to Isaac and Rebekah. He was born, of course, um, to Rebekah when she was uh, 40, and uh, his daddy Isaac was 60, 
And so we're, we're looking at just Jacob's life, and we'll pick up the story here in chapter 25 and verse 19. These are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham begat, begat Isaac. Of course, we know the story, the dysfunctional family there, the challenges they had, Sarah and Abraham. And Isaac was 40 years of age when he took Rebekah to wife, the daughter of Bethuel, the Syrian of Padan Aram, the sister to Laban the Syrian. And Laban, of course, lived in Haran, about oh, 800 miles or so away, away from, excuse me, away from where this location that we're focused on this morning is, in, of uh, course, in the area of Israel. And Isaac entreated the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord was entreated of him or responded to him. And Rebekah, his wife, conceived just like her mother-in-law, Sarah. Rebekah also struggled having children. And the children within her womb, verse 22, struggled together within her. And she said, if it be so, why, why am I thus? And she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, two nations are in thy womb. Uh, the two heads of nations, and two manner of people shall be separated. Important to remember this. Two manner of people shall be separated from thy bowels, and the one people shall be stronger than the other, and the elder shall serve the younger. And when her days to be delivered were fulfilled, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out, all, came out red all over like a hairy garment, and they called his name Esau, meaning hairy. How about that? And after that came out his brother and took his hand and his hand took hold of his brother's Esau's heel, and his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was sixty years old when she bare them. Jacob, meaning heel catcher. How about that? The boys grew. Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. Jacob was a plain man dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he did eat of his venison, but Rebekah loved Jacob. So we see here, Jacob is born fighting. In fact, we'll see, I want you to meet Jacob a little bit as we study uh, his coming memorial to the Lord. Jacob was born into great or with great conflict. These two children, twins, were so very different, not just physically and their appetites and their nature, they were different spiritually too. And there's a theme here as we look at their lives. But they were born fighting with one another and their struggle would continue pretty much all their lives. Jacob was a, a son who would struggle with his brother Esau. Even before they were born, in, uter in, in the womb. In fact, so much so that uh, the Hebrew says... Uh, as, as she went to the Lord about this, her first occurrence of a pregnancy at all, and she has twins, and they are fighting, and she is somewhat concerned, and she says in the Hebrew, Lord, if it, if it was supposed to be this way, I don't know if I would, would have even wanted this. I'm told that uh, Troy Jackson was born to a family of 15 children, four sets of twins. Can you believe that? Wow. And here's uh, her first pregnancy, and she has twins, and the twins are having a hard time even within the womb. They can't get along. And so uh, we see there's a struggle. Now, just like Isaac and Ishmael, born to Abraham, these two boys would evidence the clash of the flesh 
and the Spirit, or between spiritually renewed folks and the ones destitute of faith. It was a, a clear disparity. In fact, much later, after Esau's defiance against God and leaving the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, his father, would the Lord say in Malachi chapter 1 and verse 3, listen to these words. You don't have to turn there, but Malachi chapter 1 and 3, the last book of the Old Testament, he says this, Jacob have I loved, I have loved you, Esau I have hated. And Malachi goes on to ask the question that may be in many of our minds this morning, Lord, why did you love Jacob and not Esau? Wasn't Esau Jacob's brother? And I, you know, that's a tough question. We often ponder these things, the imponderables, even in seminary. Listen, God's ways cannot be fully explained or understood. Who can explain here this morning how birds migrate or salmon return to find the very stream where they were born? Or how do stars hang in space? How does a flower grow? Or from whence cometh the spark of life? Uh, God's word to Job at the end of his life when his full of questions was simply this, Job, are you big enough? And he lists all these natural things. Are you big enough to understand me? You're not. So we have to rest in God's sovereign will and mind, the plans of God. Uh, It's a huge mistake for us. When we look at this conflict between Jacob and Esau and that strong language, Jacob of I loved, Esau of I hated, even reflected in the book of Romans. For us to say, well, I think I know why God chose Jacob versus Esau. Well, Jacob would one day grow up to Love God, and Esau wouldn't. Certainly God knew that. And uh, we have to understand that God's choices are beyond our ability to understand. We must rest in his wisdom, his love, and especially his inability to ever make a mistake. God is incapable of making a mistake. His choices are always perfect. We have to rest in that. Isaiah says, as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than yours, Isaiah 55, 9. The reason God does what he does, have you ever been confused by what God does? The reason God does what he does is because he's God, and you're not, and I'm not. Aren't you glad he is? We aren't. We can trust his divine wisdom. It settles it. God chose Jacob and not Esau to display his compassion to the world. And it's often hard for us to say, uh, just to say that, you know what, God, here, I, I think I know why you did what you do or did. But we uh, have to rest in his sovereign will and purpose, period. And just leave it there. Sometimes we have to add this. Well, God knew that Esau's people would be defiant, sinful, and that's why he chose Jacob. Friend, I don't know if you know this, but have you ever studied the life? We're going to do that today a little bit. Have you ever studied the life of Jacob and his descendants? (laughs) It wasn't a matter of God choosing between a good boy and a bad boy. We're all born in sin, amen? In fact, Jacob, he's a deceiver. He's self-serving. Jacob's descendants hated, hated their God often. So for us to say, you know what? God chose Jacob because of his potential goodness or his future worth to the kingdom, is to short-sell God. Let's, get, let's let God be God and his choices, his, his choosing. So we know that God doesn't choose us. 
His choices are not mitigated by our comparative goodness to others. God didn't choose me because of my future worth to him. God chose me because of his love. And we have to rest in that. We are often try to figure things out. We can't be those that try to understand the mind of God. Jacob's home life uh, was, first of all, marked by great conflict, and then by this mysterious choice of God. God. God chose Jacob. We don't know why. We don't know why God chose any of us, but he did. Praise God that he did. And then we see Jacob was favored by his mother. Jacob was favored by his mother. Look a little bit farther down in the text. Genesis 25, and we see it there, verse 27 and 28. I don't know what kind of home life you grew up in. Uh, maybe you came from a, just an ideal home. Parents that just always thought together, prayed together, took you to church, raised you right. This was an, another home like uh, the home that Abraham was a part of that had some issues, some dysfunction. The boys grew, verse 27 of Genesis 25, and Esau was a cunning hunter, a man of the field. He was a man's man, and Jacob, however, was a plain man, dwelling in tents. He was an inside kind of a guy, and Isaac loved, there's favoritism right here, we're going to talk about that tonight from James chapter 2, Isaac loved Esau. Because he did eat of his venison. But Rebekah loved Jacob. Ladies, how many of you wouldn't love a son that was quiet, respectful, kind of loved hanging out at the house or the tent, loved cooking and cleaning? How many? That's the kind, you tend to gravitate to that kind of a boy, right? If you're a lady, got a lot of dishes to do, a lot of tents to clean. He loved hanging out at the house cooking. And Mama Rebecca loved her son Jacob. In fact, at the end of chapter 25, there's another characteristic about this man. We're just studying him before we look at his memorial. Jacob was, I already mentioned, this self-serving. Let's look at this incident where Esau, after hunting for venison, comes in. Uh, and he's got, this happens, just ask Tim Snyder about this. This happens, go out hunt, you don't get anything. He knows all about that. And you come back, and you're, you're just starving hungry. And, of course, the brother of his, Jacob, in the tent, stirring up this red lentil pottage that I guess in those days tasted good. I've had lentil stew since then, and I'm not gravitating towards that stuff at all. But when you're really hungry, you'll eat just about anything. He came back from the field just starving, and he comes in, and we see the story there in verse 29 of chapter 25. And Jacob uh, sawed pottage, and Esau came from the field, and he was faint with hunger. And Esau said to Jacob, Feed me, I pray thee, with that same red pottage, for I am faint. Therefore his name was called Edom, or red. The, the Hebrew here says, Brother, brother Jacob, give me a swallow of that red stuff. <laughs> He was so hungry, he didn't care what it was, he just give me this. And he became known by the nickname Red. That's what Edom means, he became the father of the Edomites. And so it is, he asked for that, and I don't know what you would do with your brother, no matter if you're on the outs with him or not, would you ask for his inheritance? Would you? I mean, that's pretty cruel. But he goes on to say that. 
And uh, Jacob said, Sell me this day thy birthright. Now there was the birthright, the blessing to the eldest son, and that was Esau. He was the eldest son. And Esau said, Behold, I am at the point of death. What does a prophet, what does a birthright profit me if I don't live past this meal? You see how he's driven by his appetites. And Jacob said, Swear to me this day. And he swore unto him, and he sold his birthright, the double portion of the inheritance to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau bread and pottage of lentils, and he did eat and drink. He rose up and went his way. Thus, in this interesting language, Esau despised his birthright, thought little of it. And so we see that uh, Jacob already in this is a conniver. His name means not only heel grabber, heel catcher, as he came out of the womb, grabbing his brother's elder brother's heel, as if to say, me first. <laughs> what are you doing getting ahead of me? Me first. That's really Jacob's uh, conniving spirit. He wanted to place himself in a position of self-service and authority. He was by nature that way, a heel grabber. Uh, and there's a difference between an overachiever, and the word means an over. His name really means overreacher. What's the difference between an over, uh, an overachiever, and an overreacher? Well, an overachiever does more than's necessary to find success. Right? He's. We would call him a, an overachiever. He's doing his homework. Plus, he always does the extra credit. He's always on time, first in line, ready ready to do this, go the second mile, the extra mile. He's an overachiever. An overreacher is similarly known in that he's doing more than is necessary, but often more than is legitimate. That's an overreacher. He's crossing lines and borders that are ethical and moral in order to gain his own position, favor, and blessing. So here he is, Jacob, the self-servant, figure, manipulative, figuring out ways to position himself in front of others. Do you ever know anybody like that? Doesn't, take, doesn't matter what it takes. They're going to do that in order to place themselves in a position of favor. That's an overreacher, a self-servant. And we see that early in his life, at least, that Jacob was this, I'm, I'm sharing these things with you just to give you the nature of Jacob before we get to that place we know as Bethel and Jacob's ladder. I want you to know who this man is a little bit. He's a self so He's not afraid to do whatever it takes to get what he wanted, even if it involved deceit. Notice, again, he says, give me a swallow that uh, Esau does, that red stuff, and he, and he sells the birthright. And then Genesis 27, and far away from here, I encourage you to turn there, uh, and we see this evidenced again in his life as he's now up in years a little bit. He's moving into his 70s, and he's still living around mama's tent and his daddy's tent. He's still single, and we find the account here in Genesis 27 of what happened, not only at the, uh, the, the tricking of his brother uh, subverting him away from his, from his birthright, but his blessing as well. It's a kind of a two-part deal. Jacob, in these verses 27, 1 through 29, it's a lengthy portion, if, and most of you can remember, but let me just remind you what happens. Uh, 
Here we have Isaac, who's getting a little older. Chapter 27, verse 1, it came to pass that when Isaac was old, his eyes were dim, so they could not see, and he called Esau, his eldest son, and said, my son, I think it's my time. <laughs> Interesting that Isaac would live another 40 years before he died. But some of you are like, maybe I'm like this a little bit. Every pain that you have, uh, you grab your heart and say, is this it? I'm going home. Well, he was getting his house together, and he felt like this was it for him. And so he, he said, I want to make sure I confer the inheritance to the proper son, the eldest son, Esau. So he called Esau and says, go out there and go hunting and give me some of that, that, that venison that I love. Of course, there was a meal, and there was a kind of a little bit of a ceremony, and there was the passing on of the blessing and the birthright. Take thy weapons, verse 3. Go, get me some of that venison. Make me that savory meat, much like his own son. He was often directed by his appetites. Bring it to me, that my soul may bless thee before I die. Rebecca heard. She, she's not far away. Mama isn't, and she heard the plan. And quickly she ran to her favorite son. Rebecca heard what Isaac said to Esau, and uh, went and told Jacob, verse 6, saying, Behold, uh, I heard thy father speak to Esau, saying, This is the time, so go out there and get me this meat, and, and then I'm going to bless you. And so she said, Let's concoct a plan by which we can deceive Father Isaac, and you're going to get the birthright and blessing instead of Esau. You know what? You know what uh, Rebecca is? And I know that none of you ladies are like this, but she was a very controlling woman. She was always with her son, scheming, controlling, finding ways. So she was not helping the character of Jacob at all. And so they decide, what did they, you remember from Sunday school? If you've grown up in church, you know the story well. What did they do? They go get a young kid, a young goat, from the flock outside, out back, and they skin it out, and they use the same recipe that they used for venison, that they used for this dish. It's a lot easier to kill a goat that's in the flock right behind it than go out looking for a deer, and so in the field, so they, they're ahead of Esau, and they get the job done, they skin him out, and they wrap Jacob's forearms with this hairy, apparently Jacob was a lot smoother than his hairy brother Esau. And you know the foil that happened next, uh, the scheme he went in and somehow tried to disguise his voice, and although, although Isaac is beginning to lose his eyesight, he still hears well, fairly well, he still smells, and he still can taste, he has these other senses, and he's a little bit skeptical, even though he feels the forearm of, of forearms of, of his son Jacob. He says, are you indeed my son? Verse 24, you look at that verse, it says, um, and he said, art thou my very son Esau? And here's the lie. I'm establishing for you the very nature and character of Jacob. He says, Dad, I am. And so they bring the 
meal to him. He eats it and blesses his son, whom he thinks is Esau. And look at the blessing, verse 28. Therefore God give thee the dew of heaven, the fatness of the earth, corn and wine, and let thy people serve thee. Nations bow down to thee. The Abrahamic covenant is now conferred upon the second son. Lord, be Lord over thy brethren. Let thy mother's son bow down. Cursed be every one that curseth thee. Blessed be he that blesseth thee. No sooner has he been conferred this spiritual blessing than the other son comes in. He is the counterfeit Esau. He receives the blessing, the firstborn, the double portion of possessions, the leadership. And really, what I want you to know, in, in spite of the fact that this, this boy, this man by now, Jacob, is unworthy, deceitful, selfish in his approach, there is something in him that endears us to his love of this blessing. You saw it earlier in his life, you see it now. I want to be the person through which God blesses spiritually all the, all the descendants. I want to be that. I want to be that man. So in spite of the fact that he does this in the wrong way, he yearns for spiritual headship. And that's what the blessing is here, the authority spiritually of the family in a domestic sense. He becomes the family priest. And there's something in him that is sweet because he wants that, whereas his brother despised that. And he was going about it the wrong way. God could have, could have worked out the details and would have because it was God's plan from eternity past to choose this boy. But you know what? Even though he goes after it the wrong way, we appreciate that in his heart there is a desire to be the family priest. Well, in the Old Testament way of reckoning, the line through which the Messiah would come in the time of patriarchs was conferred upon Isaac, or excuse me, Abraham, Isaac, and who? Jacob, not Esau. So Jacob was born into conflict, and he was chosen by God. He was favored by his mother. He was self-serving, but he became the inheritor of God's blessing, even though by deceit he was unworthy. He longed for God's blessing. And I want to just say something that might be a blessing to you in this regard. It is sad to read the Bible and not see yourself in it. When you have your devotions, may I encourage you to ask the Lord, I want to find myself here. Who am I? And how does this biblical narrative relate to me? Do we have any Jacobs in the group? I won't ask you to raise your hand. Well, there is a, there is a concern that I have that we look at, at our Bibles and, and we think about the fact that, well, that's, that's Jacob, that's years ago, that's Old Testament, has no reflection upon me. I, here's what I like about Jacob. He didn't think about his life simply as, I, I just hope that I can get through life and and that my family, when we're done with whatever our job is, our occupation, we have enough money in a tank somewhere, in a bank somewhere, in a CD or a retirement account, 
that we can move to Florida, my sweet wife and I, and then get a condo and just ride it on in to heaven. There's something in Jacob that says, no, I want to have spiritual influence on the rest of my family for the rest of my days and on into eternity. I like that. Paul said this in Ephesians 1.3, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all money, health, and happiness. Is that what? No. With all spiritual blessings in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. And I don't move back to that. I don't know why God chose Jacob, but here's a man that has a great heart for spiritual descendants. Often I think about the answer to the question, and it may be sparked by his desire. Why did God, in that, in that, cha- in that chapter in Ephesians, why did God choose any of us? Well, the answer is found there in Ephesians chapter 1, because he is rich in grace, verse 7. Why? Because he is uh, choosing us according to his good pleasure and will, verse 9, not ours. Why? Because he abounds in wisdom, verse 8. Why? Because he wanted to do everything according to his purpose and idea. And why? Because he wants you and I to praise him with our lives. The contrast in desires between Esau and Jacob could not have been more dramatic. Esau's concerns were physical, fleshly, temporal, and Jacob's were eternal, spiritual uh, promises of God to Abraham and to his father Isaac. He wanted that, and I think that's greatly to be commended to him. And then I want you to see something about his escape. We're getting to Bethel, believe it or not. We really are. His escape from his unhappy home. I want to remind you how old he is. He is 77 at the time uh, that he kind of wiggles his way around, connives his way into Isaac's um, den, and there's the meal served, and Isaac confers unknowingly the blessing upon the second son, Jacob. He's 77 when he hears, and his mother hears, that uh, when Esau returns back and hears that he has been absconded again, that his his brother, and he says it this way in the text, for the second time my brothers deceived me once in the birthright and now in the blessing, and he's so angry. Esau is so angry at Jacob that he promises as soon as daddy dies, what? I'm going to kill that rascal. I'm going to let daddy go to the grave without this heartache, but as soon as Isaac dies, I'm going to kill my brother, and he meant it. And he had the weapons. He was a hunter. (laughs) He could have done it. And he planned to do it. Again, Mama hears about that and runs to Jacob and says, Jacob, you've got to get out of here because it would destroy my heart to have two funerals in one day, Isaac's and yours. But instead of telling her husband, instead of telling her husband, that that's why you need to, uh, Jacob, that's, how you, that's why you need to get out of here. She goes to her husband and says, uh, and this was true, she says, I cannot abide the daughters that Esau has, have married. 
By now there was a plurality of wives, and they were Hittite women, Canaanite women, and they were such a bitterness to her heart and to Isaac's heart that he conferred and he agreed with her and said, let's send our 77-year-old son. Now the lifespans were longer, so he was in his midlife. Isaac lived to be 180, so 77 is just a kind of a, a midlife range in those days. So she says, I want you to go 800 miles away, back to our kinfolk in Haran, and there marry someone from our family, and use that as a pretext to go. But she would say, I absolutely, look at verse 41, I absolutely hate. Well, verse 41, there's the slaying of the brother promised, and then you uh, go back to chapter 26, and the end of that chapter, Esau was 40 years old when he took to wife Judith of Beri, the Hittite, Rashamath, the daughter of Elon, the Hittite, and these were a grief of mind, bitterness of mind to Isaac and Rebekah, and so much was the grief that we get to this time of the revenge of Esau that they say, you've got to leave, you've got to go. And so off he goes. It's the home life uh, that let him, that pushed him out. And so here he is. I want you to understand this. Here he is. He's hated by his brother, and he is pushed out by mommy and daddy. That's the pretext. You've got to go get married, says time. And to save your life, we're sending you away. And I want you to go 800 miles from here, far enough to get away from your brother and the Hittite women, the Canaanite women, and find hopefully someone there that would be appropriate for you to marry. And so the, we see this hatred of his brother, and, uh, and then she says, at chapter 27, verse 44, she says, just tarry there at my, at my brother's house in Haran. Just tarry there a little while till you find a wife. Did you know he would stay there 20 years? 20 years. And while they're married too, if not more, ladies. But he's, he's, so he's leaving under this great unrest from his unhappy home. Jacob is sent away, presumably to marry, but in fear. We see that in verse 45 of chapter 27. We have one more little and I want you to see something. So here's the, here's the context, right? As we kind of wrap things up this morning. Here's who Jacob is. We've got that list of, of the characteristics of his home life and his own characteristics. He's got this spirit that's self-serving. And although he does have an appreciation for spiritual things, he's got a background of manipulating his way. He's, he's a, a son of a favorite son of his mother. There's family dysfunction and defy. There's favoritism. And he's grown up, in the, and he's grown up, he's plus 70 now, in this home, in this environment. It's not good. And now the news comes that his brother is going to kill him. And you, I don't know if you can see the place where Bethel is there, just a little bit, I think, north of Jerusalem. You see it there, and it's just uh, about 40 miles north of Beersheba where they are. So this is his first day away. And he is... He is fearful for his life. He is discouraged. He's alone. He's confused. He really doesn't know what he's going to find in the country where he goes. 
He's angry. He's sad as he begins his journey to who knows where. He's leaving all this ugly home life behind. And how many of you know you can go a hundred or a thousand or a hundred thousand miles away and you can't outrun your trouble? You know that? And here he is. And it's his first day. He's probably on his daddy's best camel. He may own a few by now. He's 70 plus. And he's going as fast as he can so that Esau, who has just found out that he stole his birthright, that Jacob did, he is now 40 miles north, and he finds a pile of rocks. He's so tired, he gathers them together. And this, you say, Pastor, it took you a minute. <laughs> this is where we came to find his first memorial. He goes to sleep. The Bible says he does. And we see the story, Jacob's dream, chapter 28 and verse 10. We'll wrap things up here. Jacob went out from Beersheba towards Haran. He came to a certain place, tarried there all night because the sun was set. It was already dark when he got there. He took of the stones. Some of you have sleep number beds. I don't know what number this is. He took of the stones of that place and put them for his pillows. And he lay down, camped out in that place, Bethel. And as he dreamed, behold, a ladder set up upon the earth, and the top of it reached to the heaven. Behold, angels transferring, ascending and descending upon it. Behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord God of Abraham, thy father, the Lord God of Isaac. The land whereupon thou liest, to thee will I give it and to thy seed. Does that sound like the Abrahamic covenant? It is. And thy seed shall be as the dust of the earth. And thou shalt spread abroad to the west, to the east, to the north, to the south. And in thee, this again is the desire of his heart, in thee and in thy seed, you run away, you despise, you son of, a, son of your mother, and you're just, you're, you're, you're coming out of this land, this, this stew of anger and hatred and fear in you. shall all the families of the earth be blessed. He, didn't, he did not feel very blessed at that point. And then the great assurance, Behold, I am with thee. I am with thee. I will keep thee in all places whither thou goest. You don't know where you're going yet. I do. And I will bring you again to this land. And I will not leave thee until I've done that which I've spoken of to thee. And Jacob woke up out of his sleep, and he said, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. Discouraged, lonely, hated, afraid. He saw that ladder, heard the voice of God, and when he woke up, he said, surely the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. I'm speaking this morning to some of you who are in an unhappy place, right? You have a list of things that you'd like to be changed in your life. 
you perhaps are the object of anger. Not Esau's, but someone's anger. You're the object of fear. Your heart is full of confusion and worry about the future. You, you don't have any, you don't have any knowledge of what's going to happen tomorrow, the next day, and, and your life has not been in a, in, a, in a tranquil or happy place at all. And every time you pillow your head at night, you say this prayer, Lord, where are you? I pray in the heavens of brass, things are going uh, the wrong way in my life. Where are you? If you're the God of blessing, where are you? Surely, the Lord is in this place, and I knew it not. What a blessing to see with the eyes of vision, Jacob, what he saw. He saw. Now, you've got to see this, okay? In your unhappy place, in your life of difficulty, that with eyes that God allowed him to see, the, 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 the angels, the attendants of God, the ambassadors of God, never cease rising and falling upon the affairs of humanity, and especially God's children. And God is attending, even though you can't see it, God is attending your dark and difficult places. And God is never far from us, and I don't know how it happened I like to speculate when I read. Sometimes it's, it's, it's good to imagine a bit spec, spiritual. I, I think the Lord, he was standing in the, at the top of the ladder in the vision, and, and yet I wonder if he didn't come down with the angels and get right up next to his runaway. Jacob, Jacob, you sure are a, a tough case. Jacob, you know you shouldn't have lied to your daddy. Jacob, you should not have stolen the birthright. I could have worked that out. Jacob could have said a lot, could have kicked Jacob, Jacob around. But he said, Jacob, I want you to know I'm going to use you, not because of you, but in spite of you. I'm going to use you. It's, it's my will to use you to be the one through which the spiritual blessing, the Messiah one day will come through you, Jacob, Jacob rubbing the sleep out of his eyes and looking at the Lord of hosts, was overwhelmed that God would use him. So overwhelmed, he said, surely, I see it now, God is in this place. Look at it. It's dusty. It's a little mound. Lots of rocks. And I didn't know it. And so it is, dear friend. God is in the most difficult places of your life. And even though you don't know it or can't see him, there is a ladder there's a bridge from heaven to your difficult moments in life. And it is there that God meets you. And there that God reminds you, I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never give up on you.
And I will perform that which I have promised until the day of Jesus Christ. Don't you forget it. Maybe you're running away. Maybe you're afraid of something or someone. And maybe you're going in a direction that you shouldn't be going. Listen, God will meet you. Turn your heart towards him again. And understand that he is there. He wants your full attention. And here it was. He was divested of a home life that he had so loved. He was divested of a place he so loved. And there he found uh, the Lord. And often in my life it is because and when God takes the feathers out of my nest and makes things very difficult that my attention span towards heaven gets a whole lot better. Have you found that to be true? And in that rocky place, with a rock for his pillow, he turns that old rock over, pours oil on it, and he makes it his monument. And so this, this place isn't just my first stop on my getaway from my brother. This is what? He calls it Bethel. What? What is that? The house of God. And that is a special place to him. He erects a monument there at Bethel, realizing that no matter where we go, right, God is there. But it was a special night for him where he, remind, where he was reminded by God, I still have a plan for your life, Jacob. And that plan includes some difficulty. It does. But I am not giving up on you nor of my covenant to the, your grandfather Abraham, and I will use you. I will not leave you. I will not forsake you. I will bring you back to this place and your descendants will be the ones through which the Messiah will come. What a great story it is. The monument at Bethel. A blessing indeed. I am with thee. I will keep thee. I will bring thee. I will not leave thee till I have done what I have spoken. And Jacob woke up and he said, Surely... Thank you for joining us today. Please tune in each week for new messages from Bible Baptist Church in Hampton, Georgia. Until next time, may the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face to shine upon you.